You ready to get going? Yes. I was going to say all jokes aside, but uh, who knows what will happen next. <laughs> we want to, um, to look at life as what it really is. And in the year of uh, an election, it is always a hypersensitive time. And so we say at Hope Crossings, and we're very clear and plain about it, we're not a Democrat church, nor are we a Republican church. We're a Jesus church. He is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Whoever is elected or reelected on Tuesday, November 3rd, um, is not going to affect who is in control of the universe. Uh, we, we've lived through great presidents and not so great presidents, and we'll live through the next four years, whoever's elected. I want a particular person to be elected. You do too. I don't know who that is, but we all, if you're voting, you want somebody to be elected. But I know this, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so he is what we put our faith in, not a president or a government or a system or whatever. Our faith is in Christ. It is important who the president is. It is important who's in control of the government. All of those things are important, but just not as important as our faith in Jesus Christ. But in the year that we live in right now, in this season and point in time, we find that hypocrisy comes to light. We see that people are talking out of both sides of their mouth. People are uh, saying one thing and really believing something else. It's this, this menagerie of trying to navigate and try to find out where is the truth. Have you been doing that lately in the advertisements? What is the truth? What is reality? You know, Jesus dealt with that too. What is reality? He said, I want to warn you, I want, to, I want you to be careful about what is reality and what is not reality. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 8. We've got some, uh, some of the verses up there that we're going to be looking at, but Mark, chapter number 8. And this is going to be a little unusual for us today. As you can tell, I've already started off a little uh, unusual. Um, was was planning on preaching something else today and um, just recently just had a real change, and I believe God has a, a different word for us today, and so we're going to go with that. So we're in Mark uh, chapter number 8, and here in starting in verse number 1, we see that Jesus is ministering to people, and he's been doing that a long time, and they, they're getting ready to be kind of going back to their homes, and he, he's really compassionate toward them there in, in uh, verse number 2 and 3. He says, these guys are probably not going to make it all the way home. They're, they're, they look tired. They've got a long way to go. They've been with us for several days. And so he's very concerned. And so the disciples say, well, what are we going to do? It's kind of a remote place. How are we going to help that? And he says, well, how many loaves of, of bread do you have? They said seven plus a few fish. And so he goes through this thing, have them sit in groups. If you remember, we dealt with this two weeks ago out of a, out of a different uh, verse. And so he has them sit down, he feeds them. And so then there's this transition, he feeds them, and then they, they move into another category. And we're going to pick it up there at verse number 14. So this is when Jesus is with his disciples, and they're in a boat. And so let's start reading in verse number 14, and we're going to read about 10 verses, and then we're going to look at several other verses and come back to this one. Here we go. Verse 14 says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for the one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. 
And they discussed this with one another and said, they came to a conclusion, it is because we have no bread. So he tells them to be careful of the yeast, and their conclusion is, he said that because we don't have any bread. That's kind of a leap, but that's what they did. Verse 17, here's where Jesus begins to ask them eight straight questions. And we're going to come back to these, but let's read them. He says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they answered seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? Now, yeast is uh, used in the Bible as an analogy. Jesus did it a few different times, and it's used in two different ways. Here he's saying, beware, be careful, be on guard of the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the highest position that Israel could have at that time, the nation of Israel. They were the religious teachers and leaders. But if you remember, Israel at that time was under the governmental control of Rome. So Rome was controlling the government issues, and basically they said to the Israelites, the Jewish people, you guys can kind of do whatever you want to, just don't cause any problems. And so to, to be a Pharisee meant you were at the highest pinnacle of leadership within your nation. It wasn't a government position, it was a religious position. And many of them were born into that, it was kind of a lineage. And the basic Pharisee of that day was very puffed up, very arrogant, and they just thought that they knew more than everyone else, and they told everyone else what they were supposed to do, but they themselves weren't always doing it. And that was one of the complaints that Jesus had. You're putting weights on the people, but you're not even lifting one finger to pick up those weights. Does that sound like Washington? Anyway, he said, that's a complaint. So he's telling his disciples, beware of the yeast. But in Matthew 13, 13, Jesus uses yeast in a very opposite position. He says, the kingdom of God is like. He's going through a series of statements saying what the kingdom of God is like. He was using uh, kind of poetic artistry to describe to them illustratively what the kingdom of God is like because he had to show the disciples it's not like what the Pharisees are saying that it is, it's something much different. And he would say things like, the kingdom of God is like a fisherman's net that goes, goes out into the water and then it brings in all kinds of fish. Aren't you glad there's all kinds of people in the body of Christ? God doesn't want everybody to be like a cookie cutter, we all look the same, act the same, dress the same, talk the same, that, God's not into that. He loves variety. He loves there to be variations and different types of people. That's that net pulling all kinds of people in. But then he also says, the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman put into this big batch of dough and that yeast begins to permeate throughout the whole lump of dough. He said, that's like the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in that sense comes into your life and then that Christ in you begins to just filtrate throughout your entire life, affecting everything that you do. 
And when that doesn't happen, that's when we find a breakdown of relationship with Christ. The kingdom of God, like yeast, comes into a city or a community or a village or a neighborhood. And like yeast, that one person is born again, and then two, and then three, and then eight, and then 12. And that that yeast, the kingdom, begins to grow throughout a community. I'm thankful that God is wanting the yeast of the kingdom of God to grow in Jackson County. That God is interested in every drug addict that's in our community. He's interested in every person who is trying to make ends meet but can't, and they have poverty upon poverty upon poverty. God is interested in them, and he is wanting the yeast of the kingdom to infiltrate us and move through us to them. He's interested in reaching every person who is lost in all kinds of addictions. And he's saying, I I, want to reach them. The yeast of the kingdom growing within a community is what reaches those people. And that means it's working in and through you and me. So that's the positive aspect of of using the illustration of yeast. If you're turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we see another example of this yeast being used. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And here, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and the Corinthian church was a, was a real uh, piece of work. It, was, uh, it had great enthusiasm, great passion for God, but they had some problems. And one of the problems that they had was that they were so welcoming of people. They, they just were just like, come on, you can be a part of us. It really doesn't matter what you're doing. doesn't matter your lifestyle. doesn't matter what you're into. You just come be a part of us. Now, there's a delicate balance in that because anyone and everyone is welcome to come to our worship service here at Hope Crossings, but not everyone's going to be a deacon. See what I'm saying? In other words, if there's not a transformation of Christ in a person's life, then there, there's a stopping point. Welcome to come to our worship service, but as far as being a part of the church, the church is not a building, it's the people. So there's an entry point into becoming a part of the church. But the Corinthian church just said, hey, come on. Now, there may be some some young ears here today. So, uh, But there was an incident here. There was a man in the church who was sleeping with his stepmother. (laughs) Really? Yeah. And so Paul says, that's not even named among the pagans. That's not even, I mean, and you've, welcome this guy into the church and there's been no conviction there's been no teaching there's there's been no correction you just said hey come on in it doesn't really matter what you do and here's what paul says there in verse number six he said you've been boasting about this first corinthians 5 6 says your boasting is not good don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole lump get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch. He's saying about that church, he's saying you've invited some old leaven, some old attributes that are going to be like yeast and affect your entire body. You've allowed something in that is going to bring spoil and not encouragement. But we do that in our own lives too. Let's 
not talk about the church now, let's talk about us. We allow that in our own lives when we put up with sin, we tolerate sin, and yet that sin, we think we can handle it. We think, hey, it's just a little thing. I mean, I'm doing so good in so many other areas, but this, this little thing, it's not gonna be a big deal, right? And Paul says, no, it's like yeast. When you're allowing that sin into your life, that, that yeast is going to begin to grow. It's not gonna be content just to be in the closet. The sin's gonna wanna come out of the closet. Sin does need to come out of the closet as it leaves. We need to say, God, please forgive me. God, please forgive me of the sin that I have tolerated, that I've, that I've put up with. Because, Lord, it's not going to be content to just be small. It's going to grow and affect my entire life. And that's what Jesus is warning his disciples about. He says there's a yeast of the Pharisees. But what is he really, what is he really talking about? If you'll... Um, Turn, please, to uh, the Gospel of Luke and uh, chapter number 12. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Jesus is again referencing this yeast, but here he brings some clarity to it. It says, meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to speak to his disciples first, saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now it becomes more clear this yeast of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is when you know this, but you do that. And it's over and over again. Hypocrisy is not a mistake. Aren't you, uh, I, I, I say, you're talking about political advertisements. I, you know, I I've kind of feel sorry for uh, the person who's always portrayed badly by the opposing person. Yeah, have you ever noticed that in the advertisements? You know, this guy over here, he's like, yeah, I want you to vote for me, so I'm gonna show you a picture of this guy. It's the worst possible picture you could find, right? I mean, the guy looks like death warmed over. But then when he shows himself, it's like a $5,000 an hour photographer making, making you look great. You know, how many of us want to be judged by our worst day? We're not talking about a mistake. We're talking about hypocrisy. He says the, the yeast of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. When we know something, but we don't live that way. When we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't live that way. When we know what is right, but we're doing what is wrong. And it's a lifestyle, and it's over and over again. This word that Jesus is giving to the church is the word for us. And I know this is, a, this is a strong word today. I know God is wanting to say something to us in our lives that says, hey, I'm, I'm trying to wake you up to something. I'm, I'm trying to save you. I'm, I'm trying to keep you on course. And if you don't pay attention to the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of hypocrisy, it's going to ruin you. It's going to affect you in such a way that it's gonna be absolutely detrimental to your life. Matthew chapter 16. Let's look at Matthew chapter number 16. Here, this is a, 
another time when this incident is being recorded, as we just read in, in Mark chapter number 8. Matthew 16, 16, 12 says, Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now there's interesting. Here's hypocrisy and teaching. So evidently the Pharisees and the Sadducees were teaching hypocrisy. You know, we teach in a lot of different ways, don't we? We teach through verbal, but we teach through example. And the, the Pharisees had the example of hypocrisy. They had that example of saying, hey, do as we say for you to do and don't really watch what we do because the two aren't together. And Jesus looks at that and he says, that is not the kingdom. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Again, we're not talking about making a, an occasional mistake. We're talking about a lifestyle. To where the person says, well, I can be a Christian and I can live this lifestyle. But if the Word of God says those who live this lifestyle don't make it to heaven, then the question is, can you be a Christian and live that lifestyle? And the answer is no. You can't. Can you be a Christian and make mistakes? I sure hope so because I make them. We're not talking about mistakes. We're talking about hypocrisy. We're talking about going too far constantly. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. Not, not to the crowd, not to the, not to the multitudes. He's saying that to his disciples. This is a word to the church. This is a time period right now to where God is speaking to us, the body of Christ, and saying, have you allowed hypocrisy in your life, even just like a little bit of yeast? Are you doing what you know is not true and you're somehow justifying and putting up with it? You know, Billy, Billy Sunday was a, was a guy who was uh, really a professional baseball player back in the 20s, and he was a drunk. And one day, literally in the gutter, he gave his life to Christ. He was literally drunk in the gutter on the side of the street. And he gave his life to Christ. Became one of the greatest evangelists ever in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. And uh, went, it, went all across America preaching. And won over a million people to Christ. And one of the things that he would say, in, re in repeating what other people would say of his day, he said, yeah, I know. Some of you say, I don't go to church because there's too many hypocrites in the church. And his line after that would be, well, so is hell. Which place would you rather be? People talk about hypocrites in the church. I would dare submit to you that there are a lot of Christians in the church who would occasionally make mistakes. And if you catch a Christian on a bad day making a mistake, that doesn't make them a hypocrite. But a person is a hypocrite when they read in the Word of God, if you live this lifestyle, sinful lifestyle, apart from God, you can say you're a Christian all day long, but it doesn't make you a Christian. Christ comes, like yeast, comes into us and begins to move throughout our entire life, and He begins to change us day after day, season after season. He begins to form us and shape us into the image of Christ. Now, you can do all your personality tests all day long. You can do the, the, you know, the disc and the 
this, that, and the other, all those things, and they'll tell you who you are. And if you're focused on who you are, you're going to miss out on being focused on who Christ is. It's good to know about you. It's more important to know about him. Because no matter whether you're a 6 and 8 with a 12 wing or 14 wing or whatever those crazy things are, Jesus Christ is the one who's really important. Hypocrisy is what Jesus is talking about. Let's go back to Mark chapter number 8, and we're going to wrap this up. Mark chapter number 8, we're going to look at a little closer at these eight questions that Jesus asked the disciples. The eight questions. So he says, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees, and he includes Herod into that too. He was truly a hypocrite. And they discussed this. They came to a conclusion that was wrong. And so Jesus says to them, first off, he says, why are you talking about having no bread? He just cuts right to the heart of the, of the issue. He says, why are you talking about that? You know, the reason why Jesus asks questions is because he wants to expose your heart to yourself. And he wants you to be able to articulate and answer what's in your heart. Because you believe what's in your heart. There's no doubt about that. What, what you say, you believe. The conclusions you come to, that's what you believe. And so he says, why are you still talking about bread? Do you still not see or understand? Remember, he just got done feeding 4,000 people with seven loaves and a couple fish, and there were basketfuls left over. And they're worried about not having bread. He says, do you not see and understand? He says, something was demonstrated right in front of you, but you're not living in connection what was, with what was just demonstrated in front of you. You're not living, thinking in connection with what was just shown to you. So he asks them that question. Let's read the next one. Are your hearts hardened? Now, again, he's talking to his disciples. He's not talking to the drunk on the street. These are his followers, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. He's saying, are your hearts hardened? You know, sometimes we think, well, if, I, if I'm a Christian, I'm serving God. I, I, I mean, I, I can't really have a big problem. I mean, you know. He's asking his disciples, are your hearts hardened? That was one of the big complaints that Jesus had about the Pharisees. Your hearts are hardened. Your ne necks are stiff. You're like dead men's bones in whitewashed tombs. He says, are your hearts hardened? Verse 18, do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? One of the concerns that I have with the church overall is that we are driven by an attitude of entertainment and tickle the ears. And as long as you tell people what they really want to hear, they'll be back. But as soon as you put the hammer down a little bit, they're going to a better church. That'll make me feel good when I leave. Now, I think you guys know me. I th I, we ought to feel good when we leave Hope Crossings, right? I think we, we do that. But if we, if that's all, if that's what we have to have every Sunday, we can't handle what Jesus is saying to his disciples, then we got to check our heart. Okay, we got to do what John Chris did and check his heart. That went right over some of you. That's all right. Verse 19, 
He asked a question, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Boy, that no word is by accident with Jesus. He didn't just ask, how many baskets were there left over? He said, how many basketfuls did you pick up? He's saying, you participated in the miracle. You saw the evidence of leftover food after feeding 4,000 and 5,000 people. You picked them up. You looked in the baskets, and now you're worried. We've only got one loaf of bread, and he's probably really upset with us. He's going like, are you not connecting the dots? And they answered. There were 12. He asked the same question again about the next time. He says, you picked up the baskets. They said there were seven baskets left over. And then he asked him a question. Do you still not understand? He leaves it there. He just leaves it like in midair, just like I'm just going to put this out there in the air and just leave it. He said, do you still not understand? Hypocrisy has a way of drawing us to the conclusions that are not realistic conclusions. We believe something that isn't true, but when we believe it, we believe it's true. We want it to be true so badly that we say it's true, even though deep down in our heart, we know it's not. And so Jesus leaves it hanging out there. He just asks him those eight questions. He says, guys, are you, are, you, are you not seeing? Are you not understanding? Are your ears deaf? Are you not getting it? He just asks him, asks him, asks him over and over again. What's going on with you guys? You're upset about not having enough bread. I'm not even talking about bread. I'm talking about hypocrisy. I'm talking about teaching that gets into and infiltrates. He's saying the Pharisees see all the miracles that I've done. And they come and they go, hey, Jesus, by the way, uh, could you show us a sign? You know what Jesus said? He just said, no, and he walked away. I love it. There was another time when he gave him a little bit of an explanation. He said, no, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the whale, the fish, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He said, if, if kings and queens in other countries are, are going to rise up in the last day, and they're going to condemn this generation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. This generation's not repenting at all. So at times he gave him an explanation, but other times they asked him for a sign. He's going like, you guys aren't getting it either. No, I'm not going to give you a sign. I'm giving you all the signs I can give you. The question is, what are we doing? What are we doing with what we learn? What are we doing with what we see? Is it getting in? Now, I know this is, this is totally different preaching than I normally do, right? So if you're here for the first time, you, I don't know, if you like it, you won't have this next week. But if you don't like it, you'll have some. <laughs> I don't know what to say. But is God speaking to you today? Are you tolerating hypocrisy? Are you allowing sin to live in your life? John chapter number three, Jesus has a conversation with a Pharisee, a real live Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he says to them through the conversation, he says, in order to be a part of the kingdom, you must be born again. 
So no matter what lifestyle you're living, no matter what you're involved with before Christ, he gives us a new birth. You might say, well, I was just, I was just, I've always been angry, but, but you've been born again now. And that's what changes everything. Well, I, I used to live this lifestyle and I've always lived that lifestyle. Yes, but now we're being born again. That's why Jesus described it that way, being born again. Born again. Have you been born again? I would submit that probably most people here today have. If you haven't, this is an opportunity for you to be born again. Say, God, please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. I want to be born again. I want to follow you. I want you to make me a, that new person you promised. But if you are a Christian, you've been serving God. Are you tolerating the sins of the Pharisees? Are you tolerating that teaching of hypocrisy, that example of hypocrisy? Jesus said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth. And that know is not just simply a head knowledge, but it is a knowing of experience. You will experience the truth and the truth will make you free. So if you're tolerating sin, if you've been tolerating that hypocrisy, Jesus says today, the truth sets you free. You will know the truth. You will experience that truth, and that truth will set you free. And that's what we celebrate today in the church is the freedom that Christ gives us. Because every one of us have sinned. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And every one of us deserve the penalty of that sin, which the Bible describes as death. But the word also says the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have not been saved through works. We've been saved by grace through faith. That's how we're saved. And so today we come and just say, God, I've, I've been tolerating some junk. I've been putting up with some stuff. I've been speaking in a way I shouldn't speak, thinking in a way I shouldn't speak. I've been looking at things I should not look at. I've been going online about looking at things I should not look at. And God, today I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm, I'm getting rid of it. I'm getting that yeast out of my life. And Lord, you are a good yeast. I want you infiltrating in all everything about my life. But God, I want to get rid of the bad yeast. This is a time, I, I, I get it. I'm, I'm not old enough to be your father, but I feel like that father just saying, come on, guys. Come on, let's go. God's got so much for us. He's got so much for us. He's got so much for you and your family. But he's saying, I, I want you to be clean. I want you to be clean because I've got so much for you. And that yeast, that bad yeast is just dragging you back. It's just pulling you down. You'll never fulfill all that I've called you to do and be until you relinquish that yeast. Well, let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it.